0: I guess we'll say new experiment 2.0. Um, I'm going to end last week's experiment, was, which was, let's see if I can live stream and then strip the audio and put that in the podcast. Again, I got a lot of good feedback. I got a lot of negative feedback, um, but it was way too close to 50-50. I mean, I, I can't be cutting my audience in half. Plus, to be honest, I just didn't. I liked the convenience factor. I didn't like the podcast. And it's possible if I stuck with it, I could kind of hone that craft a little bit. But um, I can't, again, be burning down my audience right before the season starts. Speaking of, um, my YouTube had been blowing up quite a bit. I went and gained, I think, 20 followers in like two days. And then I decided, hey, I got an idea. Why don't I make a bunch of cut-ups, spend a bunch of many, many hours cutting up pieces of that long stream? Because nobody wants to watch that long of a stream. And I'll do little cut-ups and put that on YouTube. I lost 15 of my 20 followers (laughs) when I posted the clips. So note to self. Facebook, they like the clips. Instagram seems to like the clips. I should try to put them on TikTok, but that's difficult because it's all on my computer. Um, YouTube hates the clips. So no more clips on YouTube. In fact, as much time as I spent and as mad as I am about that, I don't know if I'm doing clips anymore. But um, anyways, the, the new experiment is... Let's just lose all the sleep. And since it's only one week, and uh, technically it was supposed to start yesterday, and instead of doing two things, I did one, uh, zero things. So not a great start. The new experiment is try to do a live stream and the podcast in one day and just lose an hour of sleep and see how that, that plays out. There is no perfect solution. There are only so many variables, and you can't account for all of them. You know, it's like the old Madden. When you try to create a guy, unless you're cheating... You can't do 99 everything. If you want to raise this, you got to lower this. So now we're going to try to give the audience the number one experience and uh, just make my life suck. That's all. That's fine. I've done that for years. (laughs) I was was finally happy that I didn't have to lose sleep anymore and um, no more getting up at 3 to do the podcast, and it looks like we might be going back to that. But we'll see how it goes. By the way, um, happy Labor Day. I don't know what it is or what it's for, think it's like a union thing. I'm not sure. But um, yay to people with jobs, I guess. It's kind of weird to celebrate people with jobs. Aren't we trying to get jobs? Isn't that what we want? It's as if there's, there's people who don't have to work, who are at home, that are like, oh, thank you to all the people sacrificing with jobs. Maybe stay-at-home moms. Maybe it's a day for stay-at-home moms to celebrate people with jobs. And children. I just upset a lot of stay-at-home mo- I just mean the one where you have to leave your house and go do stuff you hate. Not the one where you stay home and hang out with your kids. Which is a very important job, but also, let's be honest, that's what I call a day off. (laughs) Hey, it is what it is, man. I like today. You know why I like Labor Day? Because I get to be a stay-at-home dad today. Take care of the kids, do a little bit of shopping, a little bit of cooking, watch some TV, change a couple diapers, living the dream, man. Anyways, as it is... um Labor Day. Today is the final day to give money to Palmer Home. If you haven't done so and you want to support the children, I don't think I need it anymore. As far as this contest goes, uh, we'll see if somebody's just waiting until the last absolute second. Um, if anybody has ten bucks in their pocket, maybe go over to Palmer Home at like 11:45 and just make sure somebody didn't just drop a grand on the table and I get sniped at the last second. But I am still holding strong in fourth place. Fifth place is still a winner, so I don't think he's going to try to raise another $250 just to get into fourth place. And then the guy behind me is $635 behind. So again, unless he's going to drop a G spot down, I'm probably good. And he's just going to want to pass the other guy, which is 400 bucks. So I think I'm good, which means you guys may have just won me a mini vacation, and I love you for that. But that also means you get to stop hearing me beg about Palmer Home. So congratulations, we did it. Today on the docket, what I want to do, and this is usually something I do a little bit later, but I'm kind of excited, and also because we have the entire off season, that is a little bit more detailed than when we're in the regular season and we preview a team and we kind of already know the team, but we just want to know like what's been going on the last couple of weeks. Um, I want to start the process of understanding who the, the Saints are and so we'll, we'll kind of start last season, get the overall view of who they are, take a look at a couple things that have changed, and try to gauge where that leaves us. Obviously, I don't want to do a head-to-head thing, because that'll be a little bit later, but it's just kind of an intro into who the heck are the Saints, because we really, myself included, for the most part, just have a snapshot of who the Saints are, and it's kind of just what we remember from last year. So we'll start with the 2020 Saints, 12-4, and 4, under Sean Payton who has been their head coach now for 50,000, roughly 51,000 years. I don't know. They were fifth in points on offense, or excuse me, yeah, well, fifth in points on offense, fifth in points on defense, meaning fifth allowed. Um, So they were the team that everybody wants to be. They're the team that we talk about, could we ever be that good? Fifth on offense, fifth on defense, so top five in both. Also important for the ever-popular Perspective, which basically says you can be top five in both and still kind of suck a little bit and get smacked around in the playoffs like you don't even exist. So it's nice to be top five in both, but it's not an automatic guarantee. Um, The Saints kind of started and finished weak. The middle of the season is when they dominated everybody. So their first five games prior to the bye, they went uh, three and two. They beat Tampa, which is a great start. But then they lost to the Raiders, which obviously sucks, and they lost by 10 points. Then they lost to the Packers by 7. They beat the Lions because it's the frickin' Lions, and that was only 6 points. And then they beat the Chargers only by 3 in overtime. So that's not a great start. Then they went on a 7-game winning streak after their bye, which is great, and we'll get into the details on that. Um, But that's obviously pretty solid. Then their last 6 games, they lost to the Eagles, which is beyond pathetic, uh, by 3 points. They lost to the Chiefs, which is understandable. That was only three points, but still a loss. Um, they unbelievably annihilated the Vikings, fifty-two to thirty-three. Just thrashed them. Then they thrashed the Carolina Panthers, thirty-three to seven. And you're kind of getting into that. Holy cow! This is a team that's getting hot at the right time. Then they play the Bears, beat them twenty-one to nine. Again, kind of a trouncing. But then they go up against Tampa and lose twenty to thirty. So actually, in their last six games, despite seeming really, really strong. They went 3-3. Three and three. They lost their first two, and then they won three in a row, and then they lost to Tampa. On those games in the middle, Carolina Panthers, terrible team. They only won by three. Chicago Bears, terrible team. They won by three in overtime. Then Tampa Bay, they won 38-3. to Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they played. They beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 38-3. Then they played the San Francisco 49ers, won 27-13. The Falcons 24-9, the Broncos 31-3, to the Falcons 21-16, and that's when they went into their two losing games. So the Saints were kind of an anomaly. They won a lot of their games, but for the most part, you're either looking at this, this game going, this team kind of sucks, or looking at them going, dude, these guys are really good. Even some of their wins you look at and go, they kind of suck, right? Again, barely beating the Lions, barely beating the Chargers, barely beating the Panthers, barely beating the Bears in overtime. Barely beating the Falcons, losing to the Raiders, losing to the Packers, losing to the Eagles, losing to the Chiefs, but then you've got those crazy games where again, fifty-two to thirty-three against the Vikings, thirty-three-seven against the Panthers, which I don't care if it's the Panthers. Anytime you beat any team thirty-three to seven, that's crazy. Thirty-one to three against the Broncos. So it's it's really just what it seems to be is an offense and a defense that's very up and down. And sometimes when the offense and defense are up at the same time, it's the best team in football by far. And that's when you get 52, well, I guess 33 is a lot of points to give up, but that's when you get 33 to 7. That's when you get 31 to 3. But then when they're both playing poorly, which again happens because they're very up and down on both sides, you get playing the Philadelphia Eagles where the defense gives up 24 to Philadelphia, which sucks, and your offense somehow can only score 21 against the Eagles. If we kind of break it down the way that I used to like to do in season, um, just kind of looking at correlations when they win, when they lose, the offense seemingly needed to score over 30 points, which is somewhat of an overstatement, but it is also a pretty big indictment on the defense. They were undefeated only when they went 31 points or more. After that, it was kind of iffy. They were six and five when they didn't score more than 30 points. When they scored 30 points or less, they were six and five. So again, top five defense, because overall, when you put it all together, they didn't allow a lot of points. But the problem is, on a game-to-game basis, it's less than impressive. So it kind of it's not a matter of, can you beat the Saints? It's a matter of, what Saints team are you going to play? Because if they're at their best, and we've seen the Packers this way, this would be a, a pretty good example of, let's say, the 2019 Packers. You could maybe say the 2020 Packers as well, but 2019, I think, was a little bit more so. Where it was just wildly inconsistent, where you'd see games like going up against the Giants and, you know, you'd win, but you'd be like, dude, this team sucks. We almost lost to them. Or the Lions, where, you know, we led by uh, zero points ever, twice, because they were both game-winning field goals at zero seconds is the only time we led in those games. But then there were other times when the offense would really play well, and the defense would really play well, and you think, this team could beat everybody. But it's the low points that you look at and go, there's no way they're going to win a Super Bowl this year. And that, again, is the big difference with the Packers in 2019 and 2020. 2019, you didn't feel as good about it. 2020, you felt like something was special. The only real problem was the defense didn't quite have the same edge, which did end up biting us. I know we had other issues in the NFC Championship game, notably Kevin King in the offensive line, but the defensive line kind of flies under the radar, especially since they kind of killed us two years in a row. They were useless against the 49ers in 2019, they were useless against the Bucs in 2020. This defensive line, I love those guys, especially Zedarius, but they do not step up in those games, and that has to change. Defensively, um, again, this kind of points to a better offense than defense. The defense kind of had to keep them right at about 23 points, which is standard. 24 is always, I've I've told you before, 24 is always that magic number. That seems to be the standard number. Um, And again, the fact that the offense had to get to 31 is a complete indictment of the defense because 24 is the magic number. So this is 23. They were 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 0 when the defense kept them under 24 points. When the defense kept them under 30 points... They were 11-1. and one. So the defense just had to do their job at a very basic level. So again, it, it's pretty clear to me, despite the fact that I do think they have a good defense, it's the fact that the defense completely fell apart at terrible times that killed this team. If you look at the games they lost, the one anomaly here is the Eagles 21-24. The offense had a terrible day. The other losses, 20-30, uh, 29-32, 24, 34, and the Packers, 30 to 37. They hung up 30 points on the Packers and still lost. So the defense was the biggest weak point. Now, that's important for us going into this week because the defense is sort of the one thing I'm scared of, despite the fact that a lot of people are confident in Jameis. And to be honest, I'm starting to get worried because I'm starting to even buy into the hype, which I don't understand, but I'm starting to get worried because everyone's saying, some people are going so far, and granted, a lot of the information I'm getting, which is kind of pathetic because... I tried to look on YouTube for Saints people, but Saints people are so far in the weeds, kind of like me, they're talking about very nuanced stuff, like their third defensive tackle and the impact they're going to have. It's like, I just want a broad look at week one. And so I'm going to the kind of, you know, the Skip bayless types. And they're obviously going to say stupid stuff. But they're even going so far as to say that this is an upgrade over, over Drew Brees because Drew Brees was so bad. But it's important because the defense is the part that I was worried about. And again, the defense did do pretty well at times. The reason they were top five is because you saw so many games like the Falcons. So let's see, one, two, three, four, five. There were six, five games where they kept the team under 10 points. So there were times when they were just absolutely dominant, usually against garbage teams, uh, Falcons, Bears, Buccaneers, Broncos or excuse me, Panthers and Broncos, but the Buccaneers snuck in there too with three points. What happened in this game? I gotta. Did, did Tom Brady play? Yeah, I don't think he missed any games. There you go. He was uh, 22 of 38, 209 yards, zero touchdowns, three interceptions. Well, that'll do it. Too bad we didn't have statistics like that because our guys couldn't catch any of those interceptions, but it's fine. It's not a big deal. It's no big I didn't want to win that Super Bowl anyways. That was just a test run, second test run. Third time's a charm, as, as the kids say. But again, the 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 Packers went against the defense and didn't have a problem with that defense last week in Week 3, 37 points. The biggest issue we had was stopping Drew Brees in that offense. And for all the people saying, well, Drew Brees is trash um, and Jameis is better, when he played the Packers, we saw a Drew Brees that was 29 of 36 for 288 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Now, granted, that was almost entirely Alvin Kamara just losing his mind. And hopefully we can do something a little better against Alvin Kamara. Um, But 127.8 passer rating, that's pretty wild. Alvin Kamara, 13 receptions, 139 yards, two touchdowns. Um, And that's just through the air. Six rushes for 58 yards on the ground. Nearly 200 yards, scrimmage yards. The good news is he was the only one that really did a a ton of damage. 56 yards through the air is the only other uh, interesting tidbit. That was Emmanuel Sanders. He ain't there anymore. He also had a touchdown on that. Traquan Smith, who I think is going to be their top receiver now, I'm not sure he had 42 yards and no touchdowns on four receptions. So, I mean, it's very obviously it's Alvin Kamara is the guy we got to key in on. But defensively, um, obviously 37 points, we kept him in check. Um, Again, their secondary isn't great, but it's the guys up front that are pretty scary. There were zero interceptions, one pass deflection by Carl Granderson. And as far as sacks, I'm only seeing one sack by Demario Davis, the linebacker. That's it, as far as their defense and anything interesting that they were able to do. Um, another interesting little correlate, correlative thing for the Saints, passing yards kind of don't matter. And again, keep this in mind. Alvin Kamara killed us, but it was an almost entirely through the air. Passing yards, vary up and down. Um, their three lowest passing yard games, they won. Their two highest passing yard games, they won. The third highest, they lost. Very up and down, doesn't matter. If you look at rushing, though... Rushing 123 yards or above, they were undefeated. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. They're nine top rushing games. They won all of them. They were five and four when they didn't reach 123 yards. It's kind of a random number, but that's just the number. Fortunately for us, they ran for 122 yards and lost. But if it wasn't for that Packer game, to be completely honest, there were two other wins there. It would have been 112 yards. So the Packer game was kind of an anomaly because they ran for 122 yards and still lost, but only because we put up 37 points on them. So that's a little bit of an outlier. They basically were two and four um, under 100 or 112 or less. So rushing yards, incredibly important for the Saints. Probably for a lot of teams are that way, but not usually to this magnitude. Turnover surprisingly not that um, impactful. That one is usually automatic. But um I mean the one game they had four turnovers they lost to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That was it. And they lost by ten. So it's they they probably should have swept the Buccaneers if they didn't throw four interceptions in that game. But otherwise the most they've had are two, one, or zero, and they only had the zero three times. And they did go three and oh when they have so with, with zero turnovers, they won all three, but it's only three games. Otherwise, most games they had some interceptions and it was usually either one or two, and it was kind of just you know just normal. So I guess you could say more than two or at least four and above and they lose zero and they win. But again, there's such a small sample size. Almost all of them were one or two and it was just kind of, kind of whatever. Um, defensively, and again, I feel like this kind of points to, um, well, never mind. Um, if you don't crack 300 yards, they win. But um, obviously that didn't happen all that often because they, <laughs> they lost quite a few games but the actual number is 310 yards. 310 or less, they were undefeated. They were 8-0 when you didn't crack the... So again, these are just little things you take down, take a little note. It is a new team, and again, we'll kind of go over the differences. That's why this doesn't matter as much as when I do it in season, because it is a new team. You got some differences on the defense, some pretty big differences on the offense, but just something to keep in mind of the DNA of this team as of last year. Just put in your notes 310 as you watch the little the stats tick by. And if, if we're at halftime and we're at like 60 yards, that's problematic. <laughs> I mean, it is in every game. but And once again, rushing is the biggest factor here. And the number seems to be right at about 100 yards. So passing yards doesn't make a difference how many yards you pass for. Rushing, though, does. Um, the actual number is 96 yards or less. If you didn't get past 96 yards, you lost. Again, the outlier here is the Green Bay Packers. I could just say 100 or more, but I I can't even... Actually, that's not even true. 116 or more, they didn't win any games. 116, 127, 179, and 246 for the Philadelphia Eagles. They went 0-4. The only outlier here is the Green Bay Packers only ran for 98 yards and won. Why? Because we passed for almost 300 yards and um, scored 37 points. So (laughs) there are outliers in so far as based on all these markers we should have lost the game but Aaron Rodgers just went insane and 300 yards and a bunch of touchdowns and there you go but as a basic line let's just say we we probably should try to crack the 100 yard rushing 300 yard 300 total yard mark as far as their defense there is a strong correlation here with turnovers when they get two turnovers or more they were undefeated that only happened a handful of times six times but they were 6 and 0 with two or more turnovers they were uh, 7 and 5 When they only get one or less. So that's another reason why the Green Bay Packers are a bad matchup for them when they're so turnover dependent. Because the Packers are pretty good at not turning the ball over. That's why teams that are very turnover dependent tend to struggle against the Packers. Just doesn't happen as much. Those are always some of my favorite teams to go up against when it's like this team is not that good, but man, they get a lot of turnovers and that's when they win their that's how they win their games. It's scary because turnovers can happen to anybody, including Aaron Rodgers. But it still makes you feel good because matchup-wise, it kind of sucks for you. Anyways, before we transition over to the changes, we'll take a break. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash pack underscore um, Again, probably not going to make it, but I will remind you if we get to 300 patrons, I will be buying somebody a Green Bay Packers ticket. I'm not going to blast that all over social media because I want people that actually listen to and like the show to sign up on Patreon because they appreciate the show not just some random person who wants to throw a buck in a hat to try to win a uh, ticket and then cancel it right away. But if 47 people are like, you know what, let's get it done. If you were contemplating it, you were on the fence, now would be the time to go ahead and pull the trigger because if we can get that, close that gap in the next week, we can get her done. Um, Once that's done, I don't know what we're going to do. We got so many things going on. We'll probably just give up on the packer ticket thing and everything else because, you know, I ask you for a lot of stuff, so we'll leave that alone. But we'll go ahead and take a break and we'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, the NFL season is finally back and DraftKings, the official draft fantasy partner of the NFL, has millions of reasons why you should be excited. Literally, million, you know, like dollars because they have so much money and they want to give some to you. To kick off this 2021 football season, DraftKings is giving new customers a free shot at $1 million as a top prize to one special person. A grand total of $4 million are up for grabs in this competition for this Thursday night's opener. If you head over to DraftKings, check out uh, Thursday night's single game showdown. You just draft six players from the season opener. Stay under the salary cap. See how your team stacks up against the competition. And you're going to get a free shot at a million dollar payday. So download the DraftKings app now. Use code promo code Packernet. They put it in all caps. You might want to just put it in all caps to be sure. I'm guessing. They're an advanced enough company to know that if it's Packernet, it's Packernet. But just put all caps just in case. Remember, enter code PACKERNET for a shot at $1 million, $4 million in total prizes to get a free shot at $1 million top prize for your first deposit. That's code PACKERNET only at DraftKings, the official draft fantasy partner of the NFL. There is a minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. And you better believe I'm getting in on this myself. I'll tell you what. If I win this, I won't beg you for money for like a month. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I'm going to do it right now because I'm, I'm I'm like everybody else where I'm just going to forget. I'm just going to forget all this stuff. So we're going to do DraftKings right now. But uh, you don't need to listen to me do this. So I'll pause it, sign up. $5 deposit, I believe is what it said. I don't really understand how it's $5 deposit, but it's free. I don't know. I just read the ads, but there you go. Also, as I'm signing up, it says your first deposit, you get a 20% deposit bonus. So if you do the $5, it'll give you an extra buck, et cetera, et cetera. Also, and I um, I love all my sponsors, but I'm, I'm going to be honest, I'm a little confused. It's a $10 entry for fee to get into that. So it's free, but you have to deposit $5 and to get in, you need to deposit $10? <laughs> huh. I don't know. Let me just try to enter. I use promo code Packernet. Does that give me anything? I tried. It says I need to deposit $10. Tell you what, sign up, throw in promo code Packernet. I'm going to ask for clarification because I'm, I'm lost. Anyways, moving on. So I think the best way for me to do this would be to kind of just run as we usually do position by position and look at what it was, what it, you know, not just on a player basis, but the talent level of that player, and then what it is today and try to gauge what that means. But why don't we start with the obvious quarterback? I mean, you could save the best for last, but that's just, you know, that's not how that works. So last year on the depth chart, it was Drew Brees, then Taysom Hill, then Jameis Winston. That's something that a lot of people seem to be forgetting. Everybody's, it's another reason why I think the whole Jameis being better than Brees thing is silly. Um, He wasn't even number two on the depth chart. And again, Jameis did win the job, but I do think a factor is that Taysom Hill adds value even when he's not the quarterback and Jameis doesn't. I've explained this before, but let me do it again one more time. If Taysom is the quarterback, Jameis is on the bench, and we get nothing out of Jameis, and we also lose Taysom's ability to be a wide receiver, running back, whatever. So we lose two things. We lose Jameis, and we lose Taysom, the non-quarterback version. If Jameis plays, then we get Jameis at quarterback, and we still get Taysom in those other roles, which may even be better than him at quarterback, I don't know. You're getting the best of both worlds. It's a whole picture altogether, and when you especially factor in that, that Alvin Kamara is basically the only real talented player left on this team. You kind of want Taysom out there. If we look at the grades for last year, it went right in the order that you would expect. Drew Brees was their number one quarterback. Drew Brees, in a down year, had a 71.5 overall grade, and that is a massive down year. He graded in the 90s almost every year. Mid-80s was, you know, about as bad as you'd get from from Drew Brees. 71.5, clearly, he was it was a down year. Um, the last time Jameis graded this highly would have been 2017. He had a 73 overall grade. The year before, that was a 72. Those are the only two years he's ever been better than what we saw from Drew Brees last year. Um, If we look at what all three quarterbacks did last year, because apparently we're only allowed to look at Drew Brees' down year. We're not allowed to look at how Jameis did. We have to look at Jameis' best year ever compared to Drew Brees this past year and say that Jameis is better. That's strange. So Drew Brees, 71.5, 69.5 passer rating, or passing grade. Um, Taysom Hill, 67.6. His passing grade was a 69.1, almost identical to Drew Brees. Jameis Winston, 43.8 overall grade, 46.5 passing grade. Now, Jameis didn't play all that much, but it is what it is. And again, if we even scrap that, fine. Uh, The last year that he played, what, did I get rid of it already? Tell you what, there's nothing I hate more than than open tabs. Uh, 68.4 was last year, so he would have been still uh, yeah, slightly better than Taysom. So it's basically a tie between average Taysom and average Jace, uh, Jameis, both of which are less than Drew Brees with a 71 overall grade and a really bad down year. One of the things that people want to point to with Jameis is... Um, The fact that, yeah, but he's got the deep ball and and Drew Brees doesn't, and that's what's going to make Jameis better. That's true. If you look at Drew Brees uh, this past year, his yards per attempt, so how many yards he got every time he threw was 7.2 yards, which is even a little bit low for him. Um, Yards per attempt in 2019 from Jameis was 8.2. Average depth of target, so every time you threw it, about how far down the field were you throwing it, 2020, the average depth of the target for Drew Brees was 6.5 yards. For Jameis, 10.9, almost 11 yards every time he threw the ball on average. Most people are viewing that as a positive. I don't know that it necessarily is. Drew Brees had a revitalized career um, starting around 2018-ish. He blew up and was one of the best quarterbacks in football. A big contributing factor of that was getting the ball out quickly, in rhythm, which generally means kind of shorter passes. That isn't to say he didn't throw far passes, but it means that the offense kind of restructured itself to be like a lot more modern offenses, which is quick, in rhythm, get the ball out of your hand. If you look at time to throw, for example, 2.47 seconds for Drew Brees, Jameis Winston 2.75. So 2.5 is when that buzzer needs to go off. Drew Brees was under that at 2.47. Jameis is not 2.75. By the way, it's very hard to have 11 yards average depth of target and all these deep passes and everything if you're getting the ball out of your hand quickly. So I guess my concern for Jameis would be the simple fact of this offense is structured a certain kind of way, and being able to operate within that structure is going to be an important part for Jameis Winston. Otherwise, we have to change the entire offense to fit Jameis Winston. Maybe they're going to do that. I don't know. I had the same question with uh, Drew, uh, with Tom Brady going over to Tampa, because Jameis Winston operated a certain kind of way and that was to launch the ball down the field again in terms of points I think they had the number one offense in football can Tom Brady handle that style of offense well I don't know exactly what they did but whatever it did it worked and it's not really worth looking into right now I don't care but the the issues obviously weren't that big of an issue but I do think Jameis is going to have to get that time down now if we look in the preseason he did get it down a little bit but it's still 2.65 was his preseason time to throw I really think if Jameis is going to be successful, it's going to be taking away what Jameis does best. And that's kind of the problem. Now, the the good thing is, for the Saints anyways, not every play has to be a dynamic, big-time throw down the field. You set that up. It's just, do you have the ability to make the throw? And I think he does, but you got to get it out of his head that every throw needs to be launched down the field 50 yards. He needs to be able to dump the ball off to Kamara and throw these little quick slants and all these other kinds of things. He's going to have to be able to do that and get the ball out quickly and in rhythm. Or I just don't think it's going to work, because our defensive line is going to be hunting. And if the preseason is any indication, we're not going to just be content to sit back and let Zadarius do work. We're blitzing. We're bringing extra rushers. We're not going to let Jameis sit in there for 2.75 seconds. That's not going to happen. The ball has to come out. And again, the counter to that is fine. If you're going to keep bringing pressure, we're just going to keep killing you, dumping the ball off to Kamara, et cetera, et cetera. Good, because we've completely just neutralized the only thing Jameis does well which by the way, it's also what he does terribly because when he throws the ball deep down the field, he makes a lot of mistakes. 30 interceptions kind of come to mind. So I don't know. I mean, that could be the other fact. Maybe the Packers don't want to rush him because Alvin Kamara is the one thing that's really going to hurt us. More so that you're more scared of Alvin Kamara than Jameis. So if you want to let him try to launch it off to Traquan Smith against our DBs, who's going to win that battle, you think? I don't know. We'll see what the plan is. The point is, I just, I don't know that I buy the hype that Jameis is anywhere even near Drew Brees, even on the down year. Maybe he is. And it is a different dynamic, and the different dynamic makes it a little bit scary. But I just, I think, I think we're discounting the fact that Drew Brees was so successful with this team, especially recently, not necessarily 2020, but the, the prior two to three years became so good and had such a massively revitalized career because he went from the guy that launched it to, to uh, Jimmy Graham 50 yards down the field. To a guy that distributed the ball very effectively and very accurately and very quickly. And the offense worked very efficiently that way. And now we went out and go out and get a gunslinger. It changes things. And so, again, it's, it's not so much that Drew Brees or Jameis Winston, it's the offensive system that was very successful. And Drew Brees aided in that by being a good quarterback. But we can't discount the offensive system running a certain way and Jameis needing to fit into that system more so than just looking at it as well Jameis throws bombs and now we gotta guard bombs. That's that's not, you know, I don't know. And again, who who are their wide receivers? I mean, we're getting to that. We may as well talk about it right now, but it ain't great. Anyways, wide receivers a little bit weird. Obviously, Michael Thomas is the type the the top guy here. But even last year, Michael Thomas didn't play uh, the entire season. He didn't play against us last year. He played in week one, did not play again until week nine. Uh, and then he played through the rest of the season and he is once again out this year. Do not know for how long, because all I really cared about was the fact that he's not playing, but, um, also had a massive down year, probably because it was such a condensed season. And, you know, I mean, he came out cold week one and then he came back and had one down day there. So out of three games, He's had one good game because he's constantly just starting again fresh. Then he went on a hot streak, and then he got into the playoffs and played like garbage because whatever, I don't know. But he's not playing. With that, probably not super surprising, the number one most targeted player was not a wide receiver. It was Alvin Kamara. Again, this is clearly by far, not even close, the most important guy we got to pay attention to. Now, since we're talking about wide receivers, though, The second most targeted player was Emmanuel Sanders. Emmanuel Sanders is not a saint anymore. So they don't have their number one, who they didn't have at the time either. But still, they didn't have their number one, Michael Thomas. Uh, They don't have their number two, Emmanuel Sanders. The next most targeted wide receiver is Michael Thomas, because he missed most of the season. He would have been number one. Then you have Traquan Smith, who would be their number three, technically their number uh, five, because Alvin Kamara and Jared Cook are above him. But we're just talking wide receivers now. He had 51 targets on the entire season. He played 15 games. He is currently considered to be the lock number one wide receiver on the team. Hilariously, when I look at um, three wide receiver sets on PFF, he is their lowest graded wide receiver, but whatever. He is sort of their inside outside guy. So when you're talking two wide receivers, I believe it's going to be Traquan Smith and Marquez Calloway. Um, Calloway, I think, was undrafted in 2020. So, that, you know, that ain't great. And then when you go to three wide receivers, Traquan goes into the slot. So their number one receiver is graded out 61.9 overall. To be fair, that's right about where MVS grades. So if you're really high on MVS, then they have a great wide receiver. If you view MVS properly, then you'll realize Traquan isn't that great. But uh, again, 51 targets. On that, he only caught 37 passes, 533 yards, and 6 touchdowns is what he did for the season. Not exactly a burner, but he's got 4.49 speed. He was a third-round pick in 2018, so, you know, whatever. I would actually say he's very similar to MVS. If you look at his grades, he's rated about 60 every year. Um, if you look at his the entire season, it's mostly bad games with a couple good ones mixed in that that bring him from a 50 to a 60. He He is kind of MVS, just not as fast and not as tall. So the Saints are kind of like if we had MVS as our number one wide receiver. There you go. After that, the most targeted guy they had is a man by the name of Deontay Harris. Uh, he played in 11 games, 33 targets, 28 receptions, 268 yards, and a touchdown. Um, after that, you got Marquez Callaway. By the way, Harris had an 80 overall grade, so didn't play quite as much, but he's kind of a, I guess, unsung player on the team. 2019, undrafted free agent. Um, 2019, he had a basically a 70 overall grade. 2020, basically an 80 overall grade. He was targeted more than um, than Callaway was, so I don't know. But then you got your third guy, Callaway, 24 targets, 21 receptions, 213 yards, no touchdown. That's their wide receiver group. I mean, they got some other guys. They got uh, Jawan Johnson, uh, a few other people here. Actually, I don't even think he's on the team anymore. But Lil Jordan Humphrey, who is a big, tall guy from, I think, Texas that hasn't really done anything. And then Mr. Ty Montgomery. So there's that. But that's it. Traquan, Marcos Calloway, and Deontay Harris are their top guys. Lil' Jordan Humphrey is there, and then Ty Montgomery, for old time's sake, is going to be hanging out as well. Not, by any stretch, an elite unit. So to be clear what we've talked about so far, we have a quarterback who has lost his job because he wasn't good enough to be a starting quarterback, went to be a backup, nearly lost his job to Taysom Hill, has been perennially an average quarterback, meaning he grades out in the 60s literally every single year. He's got a big arm, makes some big throws, but he also makes dumb throws. He's about 50-50 between that was a really good deep ball, tight window pass, and that was an interception. What the heck are you doing, stupid? So that's their quarterback. Their wide receivers um, are kind of like their number one is our number three sort of thing. They don't have anybody, I would say, even on the level of Alan Lazard. Debatable but kind of where I would put that, and uh, that's that's that. Running back, though, obviously, Alvin Kamara, uh, followed by Latavius Murray. That's the unit last year. That is still the unit this year that is still a pretty prominent, pronounced group. That's pretty solid. No change, so we don't really need to look too much into it. Offensive line, uh, left, left tackle is still Teron Armstead. Uh, left guard is still Andrus Pete. The center is still Eric McCoy. Right guard is um, Cesar Ruiz, which I think it was last year. Maybe he just didn't take over until later in the year. Let me look one second. Yeah, so I was looking a little earlier in the year. I should move that forward a little bit. Um, So that's still Ruiz. And then right tackle is Ryan Ramzik, who is still there. So it's the exact same offensive line. No real change other than, again, Ruiz. And uh, Teron Armstead did go out at the end of the year but that was their starting left tackle and still is. Uh, Teron Armstead at left tackle is a very good football player. Um, He's not David Bakhtiari, but I would say he's at least Brian Balaga, you know, back when Balaga was was with us and was real good. He's just solid, and he's solid every year. He is 30, did have a minor setback with an injury. It looks like he's only out a couple weeks, uh, 12 and 13. Maybe one of those might even been a bye. But uh, overall, he allowed three sacks, eight hits, eight hurries, 19 total pressures. So, again, nowhere near on the level of David Bakhtiari. Bakhtiari allowed nine pressures on the entire season. One sack, zero hits, eight hurries. But Teron Armstead's a good football player, as is Ryan Ramzik. Ryan Ramzik is a younger guy. He's 27 years old. He's had four really good years. His worst year ever was 2020. He had basically an 80 overall grade. Um, He only allowed two sacks and two hits, but 23 hurries is kind of a lot. So, um... I don't know exactly what the issue is with him. I mean, that clearly is the one thing that's kind of holding him back, because I guess inconsistent is going to be his issue. Because you look at a lot of these games, he does a fantastic job overall. Seventy-five overall grade. Usually he does better than that, but he's got some games where he just completely falls off. He's got a forty-six, a fifty-six, a fifty-nine, a fifty-nine. You know, pass blocking grades. Um, games where you know against Kansas City, he gave up five pressures against the Chargers. He gave up four pressures. So he's, in general, very good across the board, but he just, there's some inconsistencies there with him. Again, by comparison, only one guy on our team gave up anywhere near that, and that's Mr. Billy Turner, who gave up 30 pressures. Ryan Ramsey gave up 27. The next highest on our list was Lucas Patrick. He gave up 21. But anyways, despite the tackles being a pretty good tackle duo, again, it's not Balaga and, and, um, and Bakhtiari good, But it's a solid unit. The interior, though, is where they've got some problems. Andrews Pete last year, 61 overall grade. Uh, McCoy at center, 69 overall grade. And Ruiz, 53.8. So Pete, and and keep in mind, again, the second most pressures given up on this entire team was 21. Billy Turner's the only one that threw everything off with 30 pressures he gave up. But Andrews Pete gave up 29 pressures at left guard. Four sacks, 10 hits, 15 hurries he gave up on the season. At center, McCoy gave up 15 total pressures, one sack, two hits, and uh, 12 hurries. Remember, centers generally don't give up as many pressures. I think, what did Lindsley give up last year? It was something just completely stupid. Uh, Corey Lindsley gave up seven total pressures on the entire season. One sack, two hits, four pressures. That was it. So centers generally going up against bigger non-pass rusher types don't usually give up as much. McCoy gave up uh, 15. We only had four guys give up that much, Uh, Wagner, Elton Jenkins, Lucas Patrick, and Billy Turner. And then our boy Ruiz, with a 53.8 overall grade, um, also gave up 27 pressures. So their entire offensive line, for the most part, gave up more pressures than everybody on our team except Billy Turner. Um, He didn't give up a single sack, so some people probably like, he's pretty good because you notice the sacks, you don't always notice the, the hits and hurries, but six hits and 21 hurries he gave up. He has a 42 pass blocking grade and a 57 run blocking grade. It's not great. In fact, in terms of pass blocking grades, Teron Armstead has an 85 overall grade. Ryan Ramzik has a 75 overall grade. Nobody else on this team has anything other than average when it comes to pass blocking. Eric McCoy is a 62. Pete is a 57. And Ruiz is a 42. Second lowest pass blocking grade on this entire team, and that includes tight ends and running backs and everything else. So it's it's kind of a rough unit. And again, specifically on the interior, which is where we kind of hope that these linebackers and defensive tackles and everybody can kind of do some, some damage, Kenny Clark in particular. Um, another big change here is the tight end group. So Jared Cook was their number one tight end. He is now with the LA Chargers. Um, their number two tight end last year was Josh Hill. Josh Hill is now with the Detroit Lions. That leaves their number three tight end, Adam Troutman, who was a third round pick last year in 2020. He's now getting the starting nod, right? You, you, you kind of had your red shirt year. You learned from one of the greats. Now we're expecting big things from you. To his credit, um, he was the second highest graded run blocker on the entire team. 246 attempts at run blocking, 87 overall grade. His pass blocking not quite as good, only 31 attempts average at that. But absolute freak of a run blocker at six foot six, 253 pounds. Um, let's see. No sacks, no hits, two hurries. Again, not a lot of pass blocking, but the run blocking was on point. As a receiver, um, only 18 targets, 16 receptions, 175 yards and a touchdown, though, on those limited opportunities. That's almost 11 yards per reception. So it's kind of, it'll be interesting to see what Troutman's got. Uh, Again, he was kind of buried on the depth chart. He was number three, but it seems like when he had his opportunities, he did a pretty decent job. So kind of an X factor there with Troutman to keep an eye on. Uh, Behind them, Nick Vanette, Garrett Griffin, and Jawan Johnson, for those that are interested. Defensively now, starting with the defensive tackles, um, last year, the group um, on the inside, David Anyamada, sort of their number one defensive tackle, 88.8 overall grade. As I said, they've got a pretty stout defensive line. It all started, um, I won't say it all started with him, but he was the Uh, The most snaps, 666 snaps on the inside, 49 pressures on 428 attempts, so slightly above 10%, but seven sacks on the season. Again, those are PFF sacks, so if you look it up, it'll probably be less because they count half sacks as full sacks. Had a lot of people mad at me about Rashawn. He didn't get nine sacks. He only had five. No, he had nine times when he tackled the quarterback. Some of those times, there was somebody else there also tackling the quarterback. Um, After that was Sheldon Rankin's. 472 total snaps, 26 pressures on 292 attempts, three sacks, so not as prominent in that regard. Here's the situation, though. You're, you probably recall that part of the reason that I was shocked about the line isn't just the quarterback, but the amount of people that are injured or out for various different reasons, including a kicker and some other people. David Anyamata, who is one of the reasons their defensive line is so dominant, is out for the first six games of the season. That's a massive blow. He's a really, really good defensive tackle. He's not playing. Their number two defensive tackle, Sheldon Rankins, is now a New York Jet. Third now on the list is Mr. Malcolm Brown. Malcolm Brown played 15 games, 390 snaps, 71.7 overall grade, mostly a really stout run defender, 13 pressures on 228 attempts. Again, mostly a run defender. Um, Malcolm Brown is now a Jaguar. (laughs) So... Moving right along, Shy Tuttle, 15 games, 372 snaps, 73 overall grade. Again, mostly a run defender. Six pressures on um, 181 attempts, which, pretty basic math, that ain't good. <laughs> <laughs> it's about a third of what you would want if you wanted uh, 10%. Shy Tuttle is still a New Orleans Saint. Now, if we look at the depth chart, um... It's kind of, you know, this is kind of, I wonder if Saints have their own. Let me look over there. Let's go to the official depth chart, what they have. Well, they haven't even updated it. How do you not update? They still have David Onyemata on here. Oh, well, I guess it's because he's suspended. He's not gone. So, okay. But Shy Tuttle, they have listed as third team, as does our lads. So clearly this is not their favorite option. And if you look who's next to David Onyemata for first team, it's Mr. Malcolm Roach. Malcolm Roach is next on the snaps list. So the, everybody that was on their defensive line is basically gone. Shy Tuttle got 372 snaps. He's probably only going to be playing because they don't have very many defensive tackles left, but Malcolm Roach is going to be apparently the main guy. Malcolm Roach was the lowest graded player they had on their entire defense last year, on their entire defense. Malcolm Roach had a 35 overall grade, um, six pressures on 128 attempts. So we're looking at 5%. He had zero sacks on the season. Um, he's 6'3", 290, by the way. So pass rush is what you want him to be able to do. He can't do it. He had a 37 overall run defense grade, probably because he's 290 pounds. So this guy is terrible. He was a 2020 undrafted free agent. He is now their starting defensive tackle. So this went from being a really stout interior defensive line to being, what the heck is this? Second team, get this. And I used to love this guy, so I don't I don't mean to hate on him, but this will make you chuckle a little bit. Second team defensive line. You know who their top guy is here? Christian Ringo, I really liked Christian Ringo when we had him, but kind of in that way that you like a guy that you know is never going to be great, but you just you like his his hustle and his grind, and he does a couple of good plays once in a while. Christian Ringo is going to be starting for this team. So just to get caught up on things, um, 2016, he was with the Green Bay Packers. Uh, he played 77 total snaps, had a 68 overall grade, not bad. Again, I kind of like the guy. Then he went to Detroit in 2017, 54 overall grade. 2018, he played for Dallas and Cincinnati. 2019, he dropped off the planet. 2020, he didn't play either. 2021, starting defensive tackle for the New Orleans Saints. Again, can anybody explain to me why we're only four and a half point favorites in this game? (laughs) I mean, listen, they got more guys, but... What are we even talking about? They also got Albert Huggins, whatever. I I don't even care anymore. This is this is the worst defensive tackle group. Now, I'm not going to say defensive line, but the defensive tackles have completely... De- now, when Anya Mata comes back, that changes, right? Not entirely, because it's still just one guy, and it's still worse than our group, but... Th- remember how... And this, this is a, a cautionary tale for the Packers, who are basically following right in line with the Saints. But remember how they were kind of doing all this one last hurrah thing, and they were destroying their entire salary cap... Um, in hopes of kind of having one last run and then they missed and now now their quarterback's gone and they have to cut a bunch of people to be able to get under the salary cap. That's where they are right now. The Saints, as much as we want them to lose desperately, we need to kind of privately, secretly be cheering for them after week one because we're kind of looking at the 2022 Green Bay Packers when we watch the Saints. (laughs) So we would like to win and then watch the Saints go on to have great success. Best case scenario. (laughs) Because it's making me nervous. But it was always going to be, because they, I mean, and listen, they've been doing this for a long time. The Packers for one year have been like, eh, let's throw caution to the wind and go after that. The Saints have been pushing out money for like three years now, trying to get Drew Brees one last, one last ring. Anyways, off the edge, Cam Jordan and Trey Hendrickson and Marcus Davenport and Carl Granderson are the guys that they had last year. Cam Jordan and Marcus Davenport are still there, and they're both very good. Last year, Cam Jordan um, played all 18 games. He's one of the very few that actually did that. 84.6 overall grade, 86.3 against the run, 75.3 grade as a pass rusher. Um, Only had eight sacks, which I say only. That's not bad, but you would expect more. But 61 pressures, 572 attempts. He had a good year, and he's very stout against the run. Now, the good thing here is he's not a super unbelievably elite pass rusher. He's a good pass rusher, but he's not a, a, a... you know, never seen it before kind of pass rush. He's the kind of guy that you can kind of handle. And then you say, well, he's really good against the run, which is problematic, but look at all the other holes. The defensive the defensive tackle group is going to be problematic when we're talking about stopping the run because a lot is going to be put on Cam Jordan's shoulders. And he's very, very good at it, make no mistake. And they've got DeMario Davis, and their safeties are very good against the run. So they're going to have to come up in support, but still... Marcus Davenport is, um, actually, Trey Hendrickson was next up on the list as far as snaps last year, but Trey Hendrickson, I believe, is gone now, so the guy that they probably want to take over that spot, the reason Trey Hendrickson is even gone to begin with, is Marcus Davenport. Marcus Davenport did take a step, um, basically a 70 overall run defense, so he's good at that, 37 pressures on 287 attempts, which is fine. He only had two sacks, so kind of flying under the radar a little bit, but the pressures are on point. I mean, he's nearly 13%. I don't know why they didn't really convert to sacks very often, but he was disruptive. He was very disruptive. So bottom line is it's, it is a good group. Even Granderson, who's their third guy, is at about 10%. He had five sacks. He had 19 pressures on 194 attempts, right at 10%. And when you factor in the guys that we have, we have Elton Jenkins at left tackle, which, love him or not, nowhere near David Bakhtiari caliber. And then you've got Billy Turner, who sometimes isn't terrible, but sometimes is terrible. Again, as much as everybody wants to say he's the greatest in the world, second most pressures given up was 21. Number one was Billy Turner giving up 30. He also single-handedly is the one that gets wrecked in these games against, for example, the 49ers and the uh, Buccaneers the next year. He's the the one factor that's just a constant whatever. Just saying, hopefully he has a good day because that can be concerning. Um, at linebacker, a lot of it is the same. Demario Davis is their absolute stud linebacker. He's still their stud linebacker. They did, they do still have Quan Alexander, who they brought in, a guy that I'll never understand the hype about Quan Alexander, but he is very, very fast. So he does the very, very fast linebacker type stuff. It can be useful. For example, he did have four pass breakups, so that's something. Sixty-six point six coverage grade. He's terrible against the run, but he's you know he's a small little guy. And then they have Caden Ellis, who's listed as next man up. So Zach Bond is not there anymore. Alex Anzalone is not there. So it was DeMario Davis, Alex Anzalone, and Zach Bond were sort of the the top three. Um, Quan Alexander has been brought up, and again, Caden Ellis was brought up to fill those two spots. Caden Ellis was the second lowest graded player on the entire team. He didn't play very much, but that doesn't really work to his advantage. Uh, The fact that, well, he didn't play at all. Well, that's still not good. I believe he was a seventh-round pick last year. Let me check here. He was a seventh-round pick in 2019. Um, out of Idaho, the Idaho Vandals, but he didn't play in 19. If you want to know how rough of a start he is, so he played week one against Tampa Bay, played three snaps, not much happened, uh, played week three against Green Bay, played uh, Chicago in the wild card game. One target, it was in the Packer game. Only one time has, ever, has the quarterback ever thrown at him. One target, one reception, one yard, one touchdown. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers saw that guy walk onto the field and they're like, oh, here's our touchdown right here and we got it, and they pulled him off the field. <laughs> so, you know, again, they're, they're the problem with them is they're just getting thin. You know, they, they lost a lot of guys, and they still have a lot of guys, and they're still the same guys, but you start to see stuff like this where your third-string guys are now starting, right? They still got DeMario. They still got Quan, Those guys are veterans, but Quan was second-string last year. Now he's starting, and Caden Ellis was absolutely nowhere near starting, but they're so thin, they have to start him. And again, the defensive line is just ridiculous. How thin it is. So the linebackers are still talented because Davis is there, who's a freak, and Quan is super fast. So there's certain things he can do that are, you know, not a lot of guys can do. And the NFL covets that. And you can do a lot of stuff with guys like that. Even though I still think they're overrated. But it's still thinning out Um, at cornerback. Marshawn Lattimore still kind of the top guy. I've talked about him quite a bit in terms of, you know, the the hype that he had and how great of a start he had and how he's just continued to decline. Um, Their number two cornerback last year was Janoris Jenkins. It is no longer Janoris Jenkins. He is now with the Tennessee Titans. Again, another guy that just, we can't afford to keep everybody. So their number two cornerback is gone. PFF literally lists him as Jack Rabbit Jenkins. That's kind of stupid. (laughs) I've never heard that nickname and you're going to call him... Listen, unless it's legally changed, let's not do this, please, PFF. All right. Uh, technically, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, who I believe was a safety in college, but plays kind of a hybrid role. They listed him as a cornerback, so he's technically number two, I guess. But on the depth chart, he's a safety, so I'm going to call him a safety. So Marshawn is there. C- uh, CGJ is a safety. Jack Rabbit Jenkins is gone. Then we got to scroll way, 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 way down in ter- terms of total snaps. So to give you an idea, Marshawn Lattimore, nine hundred ninety. Uh, Jack Rabbit Jenkins, who's gone, nine eighteen. The next up would be Patrick Robinson at 248 snaps. Patrick Robinson retired, so he's gone. Then you got to go all the way down to Grant Haley, who played 39 total snaps. He's still on the team, but uh, they have him listed as a third-team guy. So what they have right now is, um, by the way, I want to make sure that we're not confused on this, because Janoris and Malcolm were both on the Saints. Janoris is now a Tennessee Titan. Malcolm Jenkins is still there. Just in case I say it wrong, that's the reality. Across from Marshawn Lattimore right now is Mr. Ken Crawley. Ken Crawley, as I believe, next up on this list after Grant Haley. He played 11 total snaps last year. 11. He played the fourth least amount of snaps of anybody that played. Um, Again, unbelievably thin. He was a 2016 undrafted free agent. He played three years for the Saints, then went to Miami in 2019, and then they brought him back in 2020 where he played 11 total snaps. Seven times he was in coverage. Now, to his credit, one target, one interception. So, bonus. But um, that's not necessarily indicative of how he's done throughout his entire career. In fact, um, well, no, he's, he did play quite a bit for the Saints back in the day. But um, point is, again, a guy that was... Jeez, let's, let's count it out because I think it's interesting. One, two, three... He was fifth on the list last year, is now number two on the list. A guy that played 11 snaps is now the number two corner. Again, are you, are you getting the picture? They're they're just getting by very, very thin at a lot of positions. And again, this is entirely because of how bad the salary cap was for them. Cautionary tale once again, but we won't talk about that. Now, they did bring in Paulson Adebo. I don't know. Maybe Paulson Adebo is going to be starting instead. That's entirely possible. The Saints' official RLADS website does not have Paulson Adebo as the starting guy. They have Ken Crawley, but maybe Adebo does get the job. If you're wondering how he looked in the preseason, he did not play week three. Did he get hurt or something? Just want to make sure all the information is correct. No, nothing. The last note here that I can see is he ran a four-four-two forty. Anyways, he did not play week three, which could be a sign that he is going to be starting, but he played uh, week one and week two. He had a 46 overall grade week one, a, four, a 72 overall grade in week two. Nine targets, six receptions for 46 yards. Uh, He didn't give up any touchdowns, but had no picks, no pass breakups. 78.9 passer rating when targeted overall. So pretty average, not a lot of time starting. Um, I would would guess that they're going to, if I had to guess, I would guess they're going to be starting with Mr. Crawley instead of Adebo, but I could be wrong. I mean, Crawley's been there and he played like 900 snaps for the Saints just like three years ago. So this guy has played for this team A lot. He might not be very good, but he's very experienced in the system. Um, And again, Adibo didn't even play at all week three. He didn't have very many opportunities. He didn't do super well in those opportunities. I don't know if you're going to throw him to the fire week one against Aaron Rodgers. Either way, I'm fine. You got one guy that's pretty bad at football that's going to be out there as your number two. You've got another guy that's going to be out there with zero experience. And either way, Aaron Rodgers is going to be picking on whoever that number two guy is. Uh, By the way, Marshawn Lattimore, I've said it a thousand times, but very, very strange situation. I was a huge fan of him, as most people were, coming out of college for Ohio State. He was round one, uh, 11th overall selection, 4.36 speed. As a rookie, he had an 86.1 overall grade. He came out just firing, looked great. Took a step back in 2018, 77 overall grade. Took a step back again, year three, 65 overall grade, and then last year, a 59 overall grade. He has gotten worse every year. If we want to look from a more statistical standpoint, he had a 45.3 overall passer rating as a rookie, zero touchdowns given up, five interceptions, 11 pass breakups. The very next year he gave up two touchdowns, only had two interceptions and six pass breakups, 97.5 passer rating. The next year statistically did get a little bit better. Um by the way, 486 yards as a rookie, gave up 783 the next year, 587 in year three, gave up three touchdowns, which is the most he's given up, only had one interception, which is the least, but did have 10 pass breakups, which helped improve the passer rating to 85.8, still not great. And then last year, his worst year, um, he gave up 640 yards, second most of his entire career, gave up seven touchdowns, which is one a game, basically, only had two interceptions, seven pass breakups, 103.3 passer rating, by the way, nine penalties, which is uh, more than he had. It was the prior two years combined, 6-3 and in 2018 and 2019. So he is just falling far off a cliff. By the way, on a game-to-game basis, he had two games with 70 overall grades. Those are his highest, 76.1 and 79.0. His third best game was against Kansas City, 66.7 overall grade. The guy is basically Kevin King at this point. He went from one of the best corners in football as a rookie to Kevin King in four years. I don't know what's going on, but it ain't great. The only thing I can think is he was just an athletic freak, and teams kind of figured him out a little bit. They they learned his weaknesses, and they're just picking him apart. I don't know what else. I've never really seen anything quite like this, to be honest. I'm sure there are other examples. I haven't noticed them. So that's their corners. Marshawn Lattimore, who is getting worse every single year, and then uh, number two guy that I just, I have no idea what the heck's going on. In the slot, I believe is Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, who again is a safety, but I believe he's a safety slot hybrid. So when they come out, when we come out in three wide receiver sets, they're going to bring uh, CJ out there is what I'm going to call him. Uh, he also regressed from year one to year two, decent year 171 overall grade, 60.3 in year two. So again, the 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 cornerback group, not super great. Um, safety, which isn't exactly last because I do want to touch on their special teams, but, um, let's see last year they had Malcolm Jenkins again, not Janoris, but Malcolm and then Marcus Williams at safety this year, Malcolm Jenkins and Marcus Williams. So they got the same two guys and they are quite good. Malcolm Jenkins actually was, uh, let's see, he's lower than I thought. So as a run defender, Malcolm Jenkins was third, but overall Malcolm Jenkins is quite low on this list. He was 14th because he had a 53.9 coverage grade. So uh, he doesn't quite have the chops anymore as a coverage guy, but he's still a freak in run defense. He also is used quite a bit as a pass rusher. Um, 92 times they had him coming after the Did we have anybody even close to that at safety? Raven Green at safety was... Tied Adrian Amos at 15 times. That's super crazy to me. Our linebackers, 21 times Chris Barnes. I really think that's going to change a lot this year. I think safeties, corners, linebackers are going to be coming a lot. Um, Randy Ramsey had more pressures than all of our linebackers and safeties and corners. Uh, He had 50 pressures. Again, Chris Barnes, 21 pressures. That's crazy to me. Again, that that was that was Mike Pettin being super vanilla, right? It was, it was, I mean, occasionally it would happen, but it's mostly you got your defensive line. That's it. You got your edge rushers, you got your defensive tackles, and they just go get them. Sometimes it's three, sometimes it's four, sometimes we stunt and twist and, and shimmy and shake, but uh, it's pretty much straightforward. You get what you get. And then occasionally, and that's probably why it was also so ineffective, you get what you practice, right? And so if this is just something that you throw in as a wrinkle once in a while, you're probably not drilling this. You're not drilling how a linebacker gets to the quarterback. If that's going to be a major part of what your defense does, you're going to be practicing it. So when you come out in preseason, you start seeing linebackers shooting gaps and it looks competent. It's probably because they're practicing it a lot, probably because they're going to be doing it a lot. Could be wrong, just a hunch, but that's crazy. 90-some-odd times. Um, Let's see what the Saints in general had. Uh, again, Malcolm Jenkins, 70 or 92 times, Alex Anzalone, linebacker, 71 times, um, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson from the slot, 38 times, Quan Alexander, 32 times. So, so they do it a lot more. And I, I just, again, I'm excited because I think we're also going to be doing that a lot more. But um, that's kind of where he comes in. He's, he's a good pass rusher, got a, like 20 pressures and a real good run defender. Marcus Williams uh, graded out quite well in pretty much every category, but a freak run defender also. He was actually the number one run defender, the highest graded tackler on the entire team, and he was the fifth highest graded overall defender with a 73 overall coverage grade. So this is kind of, he's not the guy as well known, but he was the better safety last year, and he's been pretty solid for four straight years, despite not being quite as known outside of New Orleans circles. Uh, We all know... um, Malcolm Jenkins, because, you know, his days with the Eagles being a super big stud, but second round pick in 2017, he's graded out real well four straight years, never been bad in coverage, never been bad against the run. He's kind of a stud. However, overall, if we look specifically, you know, you can make a case for them being able to defend the run, right? From the linebackers to the safeties, to the guys off the edge, even like shy Tuttle, he can stop the run somewhat. If we're talking coverage though, and remember as pass rushers, they got some good pass rushers, but not a ton, not super elite, just good. So their pass rush is competent, but who's, who's covering again? I don't want to get too deep into actual, um, you know, head to head matchup or whatever, but this, this is going to be a problem for them, especially, and if, if I'm the Packers, I'm, I'm going to try to run up the score, right? We could try to run the ball and, and control the ball and all that stuff, but I mean, Do they have the ability to stop us with these guys? Lattimore, Johnson, Adebo, Jenkins, and Williams. These aren't great coverage guys. And then their ability to come around and play catch-up to us. How? I mean, they got Kamara. That's true. Other than that, what do they got? Nothing. Why don't we look at DraftKings real quick? I'm just curious. Can I even bet maybe DraftKings is not the right place for that? Tried to get them included, but they do a lot of this uh, drafting stuff. Here we go. They got a sports book. So they have the Packers, yeah, minus four. So, okay, okey-dokey. Also, they don't have a kicker anymore. <laughs> their kicker, uh, Will Lutz, uh, let's see, Saints' Will Lutz could miss at least eight weeks after core muscle surgery. So they lost their kicker as well. Apparently that means they will be going with Aldrich Rosas. Suffice it to say, he's not as good. So, anyways... Not exactly sure what the schedule is going to be in terms of live streaming and whatnot. I do need to do a second podcast today because this podcast is for Monday, so I got to do one tonight for tomorrow. So uh, probably going to be hitting up Facebook because I'm going to need some feedback since I just dumped all my notes right now. But uh, you folks have yourselves a fantastic day. Please remember to go follow the Packernet Podcast Facebook page for a chance to win a signed Lombardi Trophy signed by Jordy Nelson. Also sign up at pristineauction.com. Use promo code Packernet. They're going to give you 10 free dollars. So anyways, I'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.